This is Talkin' Mule Deer with your hosts, Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. Talkin' Mule Deer takes you on a journey to learn more about the Mule Deer Foundation, Mule Deer and Blacktail Deer Biology and Management, tips and tactics for hunting, conservation issues, and even features some of our corporate and celebrity partners. Now, let's start talking Mule Deer. This is Jody Stemmler. We are at the 2019 Western Hunting and Conservation Expo. And I'm Steve Belinda, and today we're going to be talking about Arizona. We have two gentlemen with us that are... Uh, experts in their field down in Arizona. One we've talked to before, Jim Heffelfinger, uh, who is also the Western Association of Fish and Wildlife Agency's Mule Deer Working Group Chair, and Jake Yeager, who's a cooperative biologist with the Mule Deer Foundation in the Arizona Game and Fish Department. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. Yep, good to be here. So, Arizona, what's going on down there? I mean, you guys got a tag up for auction coming up. Tell us a little bit about how that stuff works. First off, let's, um, before we jump into that, you know, we've heard from Jim before in his background. Jake, why don't you tell us about this, about yourself and the position that you occupy and, and uh, what you do in your job? Yeah, so originally I was a fisheries biologist by training. I focused on habitat restoration and repairing areas, doing geomorphology and stream restoration work. Fish now, wait a minute. Squeezer. We got Jody on the line. Those are <laughs> awful big words fish. there. So. Hey, now. Fish squeezer. Fish, I yeah. was a fish squeezer, <laughs> correct. That's um, what we called them in wildlife school. Yeah. <laughs> but Arizona Game and Fish decided to develop a new program with the Mule Deer Foundation where they did a cooperative mule deer biologist um, within the state to help focus on some of the efforts that the state wasn't able to, to work on themselves just by uh, uh, personnel um, restrictions. And so works out really well for me. And what I do basically is a liaison between Mule Deer Foundation and the Arizona Game and Fish Department. So I'm within the terrestrial program, within Arizona Game and Fish, out of their Phoenix headquarters office. I work with the Landowner Relations Program um, on access and projects within the state of Arizona. And then I also, I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> and then I also focus on uh, doing projects with the Mule Deer Foundation. So working with the volunteers, working with the chapters, and trying to do projects around the state um, to focus on with them. So. So, you, so your job is really to go out and put in habitat projects, guzzlers, those sorts of things? Yep, yep. We do a lot of water projects, which is, you know, working on guzzlers, cleaning out um, stock tanks, uh, doing some solar conversions from diesel fuel to help draw water up 24-7 uh, for wildlife. And then we also uh, partner with federal and state agencies on doing forest restoration. So a lot oh. of forest thinnings and, and controlled burns and that kind of stuff to help protect and reduce uh, catastrophic wildfire in Arizona. Great, well, great. And, yeah. and waters are a big issue in, in Arizona, in very dry country. You, that, that's a big focus of our chapters um, in the state, as well as, as working with the department. So what? How, how many of the chapters have gotten involved in guzzler projects? What kind of things have you got done with them uh, so, recently? Uh, so quite a few. We had 13 chapters within the state. Um, we have five really active chapters right now. Um, one out of Flagstaff is doing a whole lot of water projects up there. Um, we do stuff down south, down by Sierra Vista and Tucson. Um, we do water projects down there as well. We do a lot of focus on water projects because that is one of the biggest limiting factors with drought down in Arizona. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're partnering with a lot of private landowners and, and helping them with their range as well. So we're improving all, for all wildlife. So it's not just mule deer related. It helps elk. It helps birds. It helps any kind of critters down there. So Great. Yeah, Jake's position is a good example of how conservation groups like Mule Deer Foundation can, can amplify um, the kind of work that, that state wildlife agencies do by partnering. Um, it really is a, a multiplier effect where we can get a lot more done and a lot more collaboration and, and coordination with, with private landowners and other agencies too. Now, Jim, 
<clears throat> uh, Jake mentioned that you have either in a drought or you're in a monsoon down there. <laughs> you know, um, explain to us the uniqueness of the Arizona system and how it affects mule deer and ultimately uh, conservation mule deer hunting. Yes, yeah, so the southwest is, is different than northern Rocky Mountain states and some other areas. Northern Rocky Mountains, if you have a lot of precipitation in the winter, that might come in the form of heavy snow, and it might be a bad winter, and it might be bad for mule deer populations like we see when we have harsh winters. But in the southwest, a lot of winter precipitation comes in the form of rain, and that makes um, the, the browse and the shrubs grow a lot more. It, it blankets the ground with a carpet of uh, nutritious forbs. So wet winters are really good for us, and we, we don't have an average, uh, an average winter rainfall in, in the southwest. We've got really dry years and really wet years and so it's really more of a boom bust cycle and those deer take advantage of those good years they have a lot of fawns and then the next year or two might be a dry year and we have less fawns than we need to just even replace the the, the adult deer that that die and so we go through these cycles and it's just natural and so you have a series of wet years and our deer populations can really climb up we have a series of dry years and they're going to decline and we just manage uh, the hunter opportunity and the number of permits accordingly with that so do you do you try to keep it even or do you adjust to the the cyclic ups and downs with tags and opportunity we, we adjust as we can you know we try the the environmental effects are so violent and the way they fluctuate year to year we don't move tags that much but we assess deer populations every single year which not every um, state and, and province is able to do but every year we collect survey data we collect harvest data and we make recommendations for the following year and so if we have a, a wet year we'll have a lot of fawns that relates into a whole bunch of yearling uh, bucks the next year and we can increase tags to take advantage of that and, and if we have a series of dry years we need to back off on those tags so we're constantly adjusting it based on what we actually measure from the deer population. What about movements? Do those deer migrate or are they seasonal? I mean, do they move very far? Do they have summer versus winter needs that yeah, are different? Most, most of our populations are not migratory. We, we've got the Kaibab Plateau, which is a well-known migratory herd. And that's about the only consistently migratory herd we have in Arizona that acts like a lot that you might find in Utah and some of the Rocky Mountain states. But all of our other deer populations are mostly year-round range, um, not consistently migratory. In heavy snows, they'll move out of the high country uh, because they can't, they can't reach their food. Sometimes can't move around, but then they'll move right back up as soon as uh, a couple weeks later when that snow melts. And so not traditional migration as you, you think of it, but still make movements across the landscape to find the resources they need depending on the conditions. And, and that means we need to preserve, um, even if we don't have long-range migration corridors like we're seeing in Wyoming and some of those places, we still need to think about and preserve these movement corridors around the state. You mentioned the Kaibab. <clears throat> you know, that for those of us in wildlife biology, you know, Aldo Leopold and others did some pretty fundamental work there uh, on big game ecology. Does that include the strip, what they call the strip on the north of the Grand Canyon there? Yeah, we, we, what we call the Arizona Strip includes the Kaibab and then our 13A and 13B and those units north of the, the Grand Canyon. And all of those are managed for a much different opportunity, not uh, allowing as many people as possible to go out and, and hunt, but on the contrary, uh, hunting, uh, hunting very conservatively and allowing those mule deer populations to get older age class bucks, better buck to doe ratios, lower uh, hunter densities, and, and a better experience all around for, for those areas. And they pull some big bucks off of there, right? Unbelievable, yeah. It's, it's still, the, the Kaibab Plateau was famous in the 1920s for being at the forefront of what we were thinking about um, proper deer management, and it remains at the forefront of everybody's thoughts because of the, the big deer that we still have up in that area. Now, Jake, are you doing any projects up in the Strip or the Kaibab Plateau? We have some stuff that we're working on. We do some water projects, repairing guzzlers and drinkers that are up in that area as well. Um, but we do have projects up there that we're hoping to be able to start implementing, including 
some forest thinning and protect some of the browse up there in that winter range on that north strip. Cool. And I'm assuming that's where the the people who buy these uh, governor's tags or conservation tags, that's where they end up hunting? That's yeah, exactly absolutely. It. Yeah, and that's uh, so we've got one for sale coming up. Yeah, it might be Saturday. Tonight. Saturday, Saturday night. night. Yep. Um, tell us a little bit about that program, where the money goes, how much that's sold for, what kind of projects you guys have put back on the ground because of the uh, funds generated from that tag. Well, I can start out talking about the the, the process itself, and, and a lot of what Jake does is is more on the ground, working with habitat and working with access. But these tags that are auctioned, everybody is is usually per- familiar with these governor tags that are auctioned for high amounts of money the arizona tag has gone for four hundred thousand dollars and so you can imagine for a single tag for a single tag one single buck that's harvested um you can imagine what four hundred four hundred thousand dollars does as far as habitat um habitat improvement some access work some um, putting some waters on the ground and and uh, also working with uh with other agencies to to again amplify the kind of money that we put on the ground there but people don't realize how I think that money relate how that money when someone spends that much on a tag how that actually turns into good things for for deer and in arizona we have a different governor's tags for different species and that money that comes in for bears or for cow's whitetail or for mule deer stays separately tagged for that species so the money that w- that we get for those tags is used for for benefiting that that particular species. 100 percent of it too right 100 percent of, of it in arizona no, yep so i can see the argument jody do we buy a house this year <laughs> yeah. or do we buy a deer tag? <laughs> I think the people I'm, assume, buy the I'm assuming the ones who buy the tags have already got their own house. They've got their house fine. already. <laughs> yep, that's right. So but that money comes in, and, and Arizona has, every state has a different way that they allocate those funds to do good things for wildlife. Arizona has had, since the 90s, um, what's called a Habitat Partnership Committee, and that has local committees around the state, and then they get together in a statewide meeting. But those local committees are made up of ranchers and all of the conservation groups, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Mule Deer Foundation, um, Quail Forever, Pheasants Forever, all of these groups come together and work collaboratively with the department to decide how those, those funds are spent and what are the highest priority projects. So they go put out a, a call for proposals. They get more proposals they can possibly fund, and that allows them to pick the best um, the best projects. But the neat thing is that's done in collaboration with local sportsmen and ranchers come to that meeting, and, and we all talk about how to work together and improve wildlife with those with those monies. And, Jake, you're on that committee. That's so exactly you, right. So tell us a little bit about it, how you, as a fish squeezer, um, <laughs> get to the point where you decide what's most important or is it do you guys rank that stuff how's it work so that's a that's where all the fish are that's (laughs) a really cool part of the system so internally arizona game fish department has their own set of rankings so they rank it based upon if the compliance is there to implement the project within the year Um, all this money that comes into the state you know two and a half 2.6 million dollars they try to leverage that in at least 50 percent more so they're looking anywhere from you know four to five to six million dollars impacted so they're rolling that money from from our tag and actually doubling it for actual on the ground work oh, and so they'll rank those projects out with the state and all those proposals get sent out to those groups based on the species that those projects are dedicated for and then those organizations rank it and then they partner so arizona auction gives out three tags one to the super raffle and then one tag to one group and one to another group. So there's two tags that go to auction, one tag that goes to a super raffle. And so the two, two groups that have the, like the mule deer tag work cooperatively together to rank those projects on what we feel as, an, as foundation and, and with our members that we think is the highest priority. Game and Fish sets their rankings and then we meet in this room and we basically meet in the middle and we figure out what projects are the highest priority for us to fund, which ones are leveraging the most dollars and which ones are gonna get implemented 
that year. So you have upwards of half a million dollars every year to, that goes back just for deer projects. Yep, right? and so this all, all the money that goes in has to go to on-the-ground work. Can't go to overhead and can't get paid out anywhere like that. And so if projects come in under budget, that money rolls back into the, into the program. So it's a really cool opportunity. So even if you auction off half a million dollars worth of mule deer, there could be 750000 sitting in that pot because of the money that was left over from years past. And what kind of projects have been funded recently? So we've done a lot. Um, Forest Service does a lot of grassland restoration work. Um, we do a lot of water projects, like I was talking about earlier, converting diesel to solar, doing a lot of tank cleanouts, working with these private landowners to improve their rangeland on their allotments, which also will benefit our mule deer and other animals across the landscape. And Jim, how does the public perceive the process? Is this something that they agree with? I mean, because the reason I ask that is there's been a lot of controversy, and we've talked about it on this show about conservation tags mm -hmm. and what I think a lot of people don't realize is what kind of work and what kind of perception uh, the public has for that work and for that process and you know and, and I think it probably varies across each state but how's yeah. it happening I Arizona? think it's pretty positive I think it's pretty positive in Arizona when you talk to people they either know about it and and think it's a pretty cool program or they don't know about it and you tell them about it and and uh, it, you know, it's hard to disagree with the, the just the volume of good stuff that we do for deer and other species on the ground. It's, it's, a, it's a really good program. I know I can't afford to pay that kind of money, <laughs> but I'm glad somebody can because yep. it, it, we need it because that money's not going to come from anywhere else. Our agency budget, budgets are mm -hmm. finite, right? I mean, yep. so, so finding creative ways for, for an agency to raise the money and put it back on the ground to do positive things in a partnership way through the Habitat Partnership Com uh, Coalition there, it... it, it it seems to me like it's a win-win around. Yeah, we we sometimes you talk about um, those kind of partnerships and the money that's going out uh, in in that kind of uh, uh, in that kind of system. And people, I think, don't really realize that that money from sources like that aren't even accounted for when we talk about how hunters pay for conservation. We talk about the excise tax on hunting and fishing equipment that comes to all the state wildlife agencies. Each wildlife agency sells hunting and fishing licenses. That's a lot of times a third to half of their budget. So we talk about those sources of income, but we don't talk about these other sources that can really contribute to how we do business. And it's not just the special tags, but conservation groups like MDF and the money that they raise and they add to the, and through their local chapters to some of these projects. A lot of people don't talk about that extra money that just comes in outside of an agency's budget, but it, it's extremely important for us to get stuff done. Yeah, I, I think it's really important that we continue to focus on those partnerships as we promote this stuff. Um, let's switch a little gears here. So can you hunt deer every year in Arizona? I mean, how's that work? I, I know for elk it takes quite a few years to be able to draw a permit how does it work for deer it's a it's a limited entry draw but um, if you're not putting in for some of the really hard to draw for hunts um, you can hunt every year I think there's been one year that I haven't hunted in the last 26 and I got a leftover over the counter tag afterwards and went hunting and killed a mule deer that that year so and you can choose whether you want to hunt cow's whitetail or mule deer at the time you apply at you have to apply, apply for one tag or the other yep some of those tags are also any antler any antler deer so you could do both within that within that same mm -hmm. unit True. Also, yep. also with archery you can hunt over the counter archery um every year too so we have a season in august and we have a season in december and a season in january so we have a lot of opportunities yeah, so what do you guys do i mean first what's your personal preference for hunting in arizona i enjoy bull, hunt, bull hunting the most it for mule deer a, for mule deer and elk it gives us the best opportunity for a draw yeah. so most time you can get out there. yeah i used to bow hunt in high school and college and then hurt my shoulders and i haven't picked it up again so it's always rifle hunting and, and i've got four boys so i'm hunting with my four boys or um and my dad together and so 
we're out at various different rifle seasons, and, and it's always mule deer because there's just not enough meat on a whitetail. To but feed you've told boys. me some great stories about yeah. hunting cow's deer. That's true, you I know, have. Yeah, down on the border and dealing with uh, illegal immigration and, right. and, uh, and drugs coming across and all woo. that other stuff. You so. see a lot of that. And I've had deer slip under the international fence, which was barbed wire at that time. and wasn't a wall? No, it wasn't. They, they, they didn't no. have their papers? It was fourth strand barbed wire. Maybe they were returning home. I don't know. <laughs> so I wanted to follow up on something. Um, last year, the Secretarial Order 3362 uh, was signed here at Hunt Expo. And as that has been going on and implementing, they've been sending money out to the states mm-hmm. for some research projects. I think in October, I saw a press release about $260,000, $265,000 for some research projects. Just for, a, just for a state. Actually, there are $3.3 million that were made available for our highest priority research. So that project. was just for your state. For yeah, right, right. So, so for for eleven western states, there was three point three million dollars available. So there was two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand dollars that each state got to do to to get some radio collars, some GPS radio collars out on deer, elk, and pronghorn, whatever our highest priority areas were, and learn more about some movement corridors and migration corridors in areas where we've never had collars. We don't know, but we really needed to know. So And you've got three projects, that. right? So tell and, us a little bit about those projects. Our top three projects that were funded. Yeah, and we're actually, uh, and these are the research priority projects, um, and we're actually in the last two weeks have been putting the radio collars out from that, that money. But the first priority is we have a new interstate that's that's cutting across Arizona, I-11 they're going to call it, diagonally across the state. And, and so we've got money in three different sections of that proposed path to put out GPS collars on mule deer and learn more about how they use the landscape and how they move across, not so that we can alter the path of the uh, the the interstate because that's that's wrapped up in a lot of complicated things. But knowing where the path of that interstate is going to be, knowing where movements of of Mielder are, we can then plan for uh, overpasses and underpasses and and places to allow that movement yep. to continue even after the freeway comes in. Where once you get a freeway in, and then you go talk to the highway department and say, wait a minute, we have Mielder that used to come through here. You're too late at that point. Yeah, right. got to work with the system. That retrofitting can be a lot costly. It's a lot more expensive. Mm-hmm. And so that was just our our first priority project. Um, second priority project was uh, an area where we actually have an uh, overpass put in over a highway. And we wanted to, and we did that, and, and we've documented a lot of movements back and forth across that with cameras. So we know animals are moving it a lot, are using it a lot. But we wanted to get some GPS collars on both sides and see, not only see them cross that overpass, but more importantly, see how they're using habitat on both sides. Because we've got to learn how much land we need to protect on both sides of that overpass. Because you don't want to put an overpass in and then have neighborhoods come in, and all you're doing is moving an animal from someone's backyard on one side of the road to someone's backyard on the other. We, want, we need to learn more about how much space we need on both ends right. of that to preserve that. Makes sense. So you said you've got yep. collars just going on now, so you don't have any yep. preliminary data on any no, of those. No, right. It's just That's a great. couple of weeks, so they're they're just starting to beam up um, latitude, longitude of, of these deer movements. And beam me up, Scotty. Yep. <laughs> and the third project that is funded will be something that we do this summer, and that's around uh, Flagstaff. The San Francisco Peaks is a high elevation mountain range, and, the, and deer seem to congregate there in the summer, but we don't know how far um, that mountain is drawing deer in from surrounding areas. And then in the fall, then they seem to disperse back out. And we've got some preliminary information and some roadkill information to give us an idea probably of where these movements are because they're getting whacked on the road in some okay. places. And so we're going to get some collars on there in the summer and then wait in the fall and see where they disperse to. And we'll learn a lot about movements in and out of that area. Very cool. And that's, I mean, those are things you probably wondered. And if you hadn't had that funding, um, would never never have had the chance to do anything about it. And particularly with an interstate going in, that's a Mm -hmm. huge opportunity again to get ahead of the curve. Yeah, if you wait two years with that project, then it'd be too late. Right. We had to get on that now. And we got the money to do that. So that was great. 
Well, we talked about this when we talked about the order. This order is actually was geared toward action. And, you know, it's mm -hmm. um, the research projects were first funded. They're going through some review right now, some other projects out there. But it's, you know, I think it's uh, not just Arizona, but a lot of other states seeing the benefit immediately from this order, from the money. And we're going to learn a lot about, you know, big game, and in this case, mule deer movements and help the conservation with those species and, and ultimately yeah. the habitat. So. Yeah, and, and the other part of that is uh, a, a lot more money also available for those corridors that we identified as high priority. There's, there's another $2.7 million that's being made available to the states to do habitat improvement within those corridors, which in our case is going to be moving, uh, clearing some uh, pinion juniper to open up those corridors and, and make them a little more friendly to pronghorn, which don't like the, the thick brush. So Th action the, on the ground. Those were the habitat projects through the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation as well that we exactly. talked about with uh, Seth a yeah. couple oh, good. of months ago. <clears throat> yep. Good. Yeah, and with the Farm Bill giving us that new tool to uh, streamline some of the environmental processes and documentation for thing, moving, doing things like Jim Safe just described. I think yeah. we're going to be able to do more and more. And so, so Jake, what, what do you've got coming up? I mean, you got some great projects in the works right now that you can tell us about? Uh, not specifically. Um, right now we're looking at some big, big large-scale stewardship projects. And so we're looking, hopefully, being able to clear with the Forest Service upwards of 30,000 acres and being able to pick away at habitat restoration that they don't have funds to do and they don't have it as a priority to do but as a wildlife um, organization who focuses on habitat restoration for the betterment of wildlife those areas are of high importance to us so it gives us the ability to do those projects and to partner with the forest service while they're also implementing their own their own actions on their on those areas so so let me ask a little bit just real quick on some of these more aggressive habitat projects where, where you're doing fairly large scale there's people out there that are saying it's basically clear letting or you're clearing things out and this isn't good. How can this be good for wildlife? Are you able to document, have you been able to see significant rebounds? I mean, can you tell us what that... Because yeah, with, with GPS collars, there's some really neat things that, that you start to see. We, we, when we submitted that proposal to the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation for the habitat work, we included a couple graphics because we have some GPS collar location from pronghorn and, and some from mule in some of those areas. And it was really neat because you could see the areas that had been cleared in past years and the areas that had not been cleared. And you could see those GPS locations using those cleared areas. And then you could see them not using this area that we proposed to clear. So you can just visually see that once we do that once habitat work. Once you do it, they're work, here and they don't yeah, use, we, they're going to glom onto that. See, so once we do the habitat work, Treat they're going to be able to use come. all of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that was really neat. And we did that on purpose. We really wanted to make a good good impact to, to really illustrate, not just in words that you had to read through, but illustrate. You could just look at that one picture and you could say, yeah, this is a good project. We need to do that work. Do you guys have any other threats to, to mule deer or other big game besides, you know, what we're dealing with with climate and drought and... 6.5 Creedmoor. 6.5 <laughs> Excellent caliber, no yeah. doubt. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, that's the most popular <laughs> caliber mid-size game rifle right now out on the market. It's the hot news. Yeah, I'm so. not buying it. I'm a 308 <laughs> guy. I mean, are you dealing with invasive species? Are you dealing with mm -hmm. any disease issues? Are you dealing with yep. things that happen elsewhere um, that we Can need to be aware of? Can you speak to the, I don't know if you worked with the cheatgrass uh, invasion on winter range up in the Kaibab. I mean, that's been a, uh, we've had increase, we had fires on the winter range in the Kaibab, and whenever you get fires in that kind of environment, you get cheatgrass that invades, and once the cheatgrass starts coming in, it dries out, 
and then it catches fire, and then you increase that cycle of fire more frequently, more violently, and, and you get more and more cheatgrass, and we're, we're suffering from that on the, the winter range of, of the Kaibab, and then also juniper encroachment in a lot of those areas is just a pervasive thing that we're always going to be working on. Yep. We talk about it a lot. Do you have chronic wasting disease yet? Do not. We, we do, do not. not okay, in so if you're we heading to Arizona, don't take any parts, don't take any urine, don't take anything, and we need to keep CWD we out of We don't want it here. <laughs> we don't want it. Right, and I just I just had my 15-year-old in Texas, and we shot some deer, and one was a buck, and, and we had to, we had to go buy a pot and boil that thing out and not bring brain and spinal fluid back in there. So be aware of your laws uh, in your state about bringing animals from out of state in because that's, that's the, the easiest way that it can be spread across the country, and we all need to be really vigilant about that and, and pay attention to that. All right, guys, thank you very much for your time today. We appreciate it. That's great stuff you're working on in Arizona. It's really, really cool to see how putting dollars on the ground and the difference that it's making for our animals and for our opportunities yeah. to hunt, for sure. Yeah, so if you're heading down there for spring training or for uh, any vacation, you know, find, you know, give, uh, look look some folks up, see where you can help volunteer, get, get out on the ground, help with this conservation. So. Yeah, with 11 chapters, there ought to be something to do. Jake, Jim, thank you guys for your time today. Thanks. Until Thanks next time, this is Jody. And I'm Steve Belinda. Thank you for talking mule deer and take care. Thanks for talking mule deer with Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. The Mule Deer Foundation is the only conservation group in North America dedicated to restoring, improving, and protecting mule deer and black-tailed deer and their habitat. MDF is a strong voice for hunters in access, wildlife management, and conservation policy issues. To find out more, visit www.muledeer.org and stay tuned for the next episode of Talking Mule Deer.